Here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Hi, this is Kerry Stamp, and you're listening to the Business in Paradise podcast. This is the podcast where I get to interview significant business leaders in Palm Beach County. I've got a fantastic guest today. My guest is Mike Mitrione, who is the chair of the corporate practice at the West Palm Beach law firm, Gunster. So, Mike, welcome to Business in Paradise. My pleasure, Carrie. Thank you. You know, one of the great things about Mike is that he's had a front row seat to some of the major activities in Palm Beach County business over the last four decades. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit. Uh, you started in New York, is that right? How'd you get to Florida? I did start in New York, born and raised and educated in New York and worked with uh, two uh, Wall Street type law firms for four years. And my wife and I were ready to uh, buy a house and start a family and kind of uh, she was she's a lawyer as well and we kind of looked at each other and said do we really want to spend the rest of our lives commuting into midtown or downtown manhattan and uh, for a corporate lawyer in new york that means probably not seeing your kids except on the weekends maybe and uh, so we uh, we really wanted a little bit more uh, balanced life and thought about, you know, what alternatives we had, which was huge for us because neither one of us ever really left New York except on vacation. Our entire family infrastructure was there. And uh, I always say to this day, thankfully, I married uh, who I married because I didn't know where Palm Beach was, but she had two first cousins who had moved here before us. And they were here and we had visited them a couple of times when we were dating and when we first got married and said, you know what, that Palm Beach lifestyle uh, seems to be uh, pretty good and, and growing and uh, let's see if we can find jobs. So that's how we ended up here in June of 1979. Wow. How many did you make a lot of trips down here before you actually made the move? Uh, no, I took uh, 10 days off from work and came down and interviewed with a bunch of firms during uh, April of 79 and uh, got a couple of offers and uh, uh, from a, one from a firm in Fort Lauderdale. But we really wanted to be in Palm Beach. And by the end of the 10 days, I finally got an offer from Gunster. And we kind of I, I went back to New York and kind of looked at uh, Barbara and uh, our bluff was called. We said, OK, now what do we do? Do we take it and go? And uh, we did, uh, which is totally out of character for us. Neither one of us are wild and crazy people, and uh, um, but it was uh, the best thing we ever did. And most of us in the business community really know Gunster as one of the preeminent law firms now in uh, Florida and, and certainly in the Palm Beach uh, County area. What was Gunster like uh, when you first arrived in, in 1979? Uh, it was 26 lawyers. I was lawyer number 27. Uh, we had an office in Palm Beach, right on South County Road, and we had one person in a one-person office in Delray Beach. Uh, that was it. And the county at the time, uh, to me, this is the most staggering number from a business perspective. The population in June of 79 of Palm Beach County was about 420,000 people. So we've quadrupled in the 41 years, about quadrupled in the 41 years since then. Wow. Was it, Mike, and I've always wondered this, and I've never uh, asked anybody this question, but 
is there a Mr. Gunster? And was he there when you got there? Uh, there there uh, was a Mr. Gunster. Uh, I never met him because at the time he was uh, up in years and was splitting his time between uh, the Hamptons and, uh, and Palm Beach. So I started in June. And unfortunately, he passed away in the late fall of 79 before he came back to Palm Beach. So I never met him. Uh, but he definitely was uh, apparently a character and a real uh, leadership fi uh, figure within our firm. So you were lawyer number 27. What's uh, what's the headcount today? What's it look like? Uh, statewide now, we're in 13 offices and we're uh, just over 200 lawyers. Wow. All right. So, Mike, you moved down here. You're a young guy. Uh, you start out and you're uh, are you working in the corporate and uh, securities department of the firm? Uh, when I started, I did some corporate because uh, there really wasn't a lot of a court. There wasn't a big corporate community here at the time. Uh, FPL was still based in uh, in Miami at the time. Uh, so uh, I ended up splitting my time a little bit between uh, real estate and, and lending work on uh, for about 50 percent and 50 percent corporate representing small uh, small companies, uh, but I became uh, really the first full-time corporate lawyer at Gunster. There were a couple of guys who were your stereotypical general practitioners who hired me, uh, so I was the first full-time uh, corporate lawyer, and after about a year or so, uh, was pretty much spending all my time on corporate matters. And we all we know that a, a successful lawyer in a firm that uh, makes partner is usually pretty good at bringing in business. So you have to be somewhat of a rainmaker. So back then, was there a client that you uh, brought into the firm? Was uh, your own client that you said, "Wow, this is my first big break." Uh, things are going to get really good from here. Yeah, I, I would say uh, I didn't originally did not bring in uh, Lloyd Ecclestone and PJ National, the partner who hired me, brought them in. Um, and so I worked. PJ National broke ground in December of 79, shortly after I arrived. And we did all the legal work for that project, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I worked on the agreement with the PGA of America, worked on getting the Ryder Cup, the Seniors Championship, all of those uh, types of agreements. But the first one that I really landed was uh, in about 81, a company moved to Palm Beach from Memphis. Um, it was called Cook International and most people wouldn't have known it, but it was a public company. Um, but the owner decided to relocate to Palm Beach, a guy by the name of Ned Cook, who uh, is a uh, uh, just a, was a tremendous guy. And in fact, uh, there's a Cook Convention Center in Memphis. He was the head of the uh, airport authority when FedEx got based in Memphis. I mean, he was a real major figure in Memphis. And when he moved to Palm Beach, uh, he needed a corporate lawyer to uh, basically just set up his operation. And literally the first thing that came in was something that only a paralegal would typically do. And that was get their business qualified to do business in the state of Florida. It's a very simple filing with the Secretary of State. And that was the first matter. Um, but after a while, they started saying, well, we got a lot of businesses. We're doing some acquisitions. And it really grew to my uh, largest client in the 80s. Uh, among the, uh, They owned insurance agencies. They owned a, a whole bunch of things all around the Southeast and elsewhere. But their biggest claim to fame was they owned Terminex which obviously was a big national company. And we sold it in 86, right before the Tax Act changed. And that was probably, as I look back on my career, the best deal I ever worked on. Um, at the time, it was about $165 million deal, which is not a huge number today, but it was a big number in 1986. 
and um, basically spent all of November and December just on that one matter, a lot of all-nighters, getting it uh, uh, closed and sold to a public company out of Illinois, and it was uh, just a fabulous deal. You know, and, and, and Mike, I know that uh, part of what you have done over the years is both for the community and probably for yourself so that you can meet significant business owners in the community is to really get involved in what's going on here in Palm Beach County. So you've had, I think, at least one stint, maybe more, uh, as uh, president of the or chairman of the North Palm Beach Chamber and might not have even been called the North Beach Palm Beach Chamber at the time. Uh, tell us about that. Tell us about the Business Development Board and how you've been active in the business community here. Yes, yeah, so you know, we all uh, uh, achieve whatever we achieve because of guidance we receive when we're young and, and some special, uh, you know, lucky breaks and whatever. So the guy I worked for at Gunster when I first arrived and I was just an associate uh, was a marketing machine. And he, uh, he was on the Economic Council at the time. And the Economic Council, I think it was 81, might have been 82, decided to form the Business Development Board to have this special niche of economic development and, and be a separate organization from the Economic Council. And he said, hey, I'm on the Economic Council. Uh, you're trying to meet people. You're trying to do something. Why don't you get involved in the Business Development Board? So I got involved at the very beginning, as I said, either 81 or 82, and really um, didn't know a whole lot about what economic development entailed. And it was a fabulous education. And I got to meet a lot of great people and some of my best friends from back then. And, uh, and from that, uh, you know, obviously got to meet chamber people because the, a lot of chambers in our county are very actively involved with the BDB. And so it kind of uh, ended up being a snowball effect of being involved. I chaired the chairman, uh, chaired the BDB in 89 and 90, which was about a term and a half because my uh, predecessor relocated out of the area. And uh, one of my first duties, uh, we ended up hiring Larry Pelton, uh, and, and Larry did a phenomenal job of taking the BDB to the next level back then. Uh, but we also hired uh, this kid right out of UF, Kelly Smallridge. And I'll never forget the day we, uh, as an executive committee, decided to hire her. And that's been her only job. She started at the bottom of the BDB, and now she's been a phenomenal CEO uh, for the BDB. And uh, as a result of those relationships, I got involved in the what was called the Northern Palm Beach County Chamber. It's now called Palm Beach North. And I did do a, a term and a half there as well. And uh, uh, still very active in both of those organizations. And I think you're pretty instrumental in the merger of uh, what was in the uh, Palm, North Palm Beach Chamber with the Jupiter Juno Beach Tequesta Chamber and the kind of the rebranding. When did that happen? Yeah, that was probably, I want to say, 10 or 12 years ago. Yes, there were a number of us uh, involved. Uh, might have even been a little longer. Time flies. Uh, but yeah, there were a number of uh, people involved, and, and, it, and it made sense. I mean, it just absolutely made sense because the North County, as you know, uh, has become uh, kind of a, a mini region unto itself, kind of like Boca has in, in certain respects. And uh, the 10 municipalities that make up the, the current chamber really have a lot of uh, synergies. And uh, uh, it, was, it was the right decision, I think, for all involved and really has become a, a tremendous chamber for our, our business community. You know, and we have a mutual friend uh, who calls you pretty much her favorite person in the world, and that's Robbie Journey. And uh, Robbie, uh, as our listeners probably know, uh, runs a quantum house. Uh, and I'll let you tell a little bit of the story about what Quantum House does, how you got involved, and uh, what that really means to our community. 
One of my clients, uh, Claudia Hillinger, who was at Max Planck at the time, was on the board of Quantum House, and uh, they were trying to add some more business people because there were a lot of family people involved at Quantum House at the time, and they were trying to get more business people on the board, and she reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like for you to join this board, and it's kind of hard to say no to a client when they ask you to do something like that. So I didn't know a lot about Quantum House, uh, and so I said yes, and that was about uh, 10 years ago. And Quantum House is a hospitality house, it's the only one of its kind between Fort Lauderdale and Orlando. Uh, they focus on children who are going through major surgeries, major rehab, and it, it's really, um, it's almost like a Ronald McDonald house, except that it's a standalone independent uh, 501c3, and it's housed currently, uh, its only location is on the campus of St. Mary's. We're always exploring uh, other locations. and. Um, we expanded at the time I joined there, it was basically just 10 uh, rooms to house these families and, and a living room and, and large kitchen. And uh, we did a capital campaign about five years ago to uh, triple the size. And it's now 30 rooms, a uh, much larger facility, and it's almost always full. And it's really, really rewarding to see the kind of work that this house does to help these families and these kids get through these traumatic medical uh, procedures they're going through. Um, it's, uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous organization. I've, I've chaired that for two years. I still serve on the executive committee and really, uh, really enjoyed it. And a lot of my family members have also gotten involved uh, with Quantum House. You know, and um, I, over the years, have uh, been down there to make dinner for the families that uh, live in the facility. I've gotten to know Robbie, and she's got a fantastic team. One of the first phone calls that I made uh, when I was the board chair of the Edna Runner Tutorial Center was to Robbie because we were contemplating a capital campaign, and I had no clue uh, how to proceed, but she told me exactly what to do, and uh, we were successful in raising almost $2 million for the tutorial center, essentially just using the same model that she laid out for me several years ago. So uh, the the community is very fortunate to have that type of leadership, that type of involvement, and uh, that facility right here to help kids that uh, need some help while they're going through the hospital. So thanks for your involvement, Mike, in the uh, Quantum House as well. If I can, let's turn now to uh, more recent times. You've been uh, at Gunster now for, can I even ask how long? It'll be 41 years in June. 41 years at the same uh, at the same job. That's uh, unbelievable. And you don't even have any kids that are 41 years old, right? That's correct. Wow. Uh, so you're at Gunster for 41 years. You're uh, chair of the corporate practice. You're a mentor to a number of uh, younger lawyers. When when you bring new lawyers into the firm and uh, you give them advice about how to be a professional, how to treat their clients, and uh, essentially how to grow their business, what are some of the things that you tell them, Mike? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's all about, in our profession, like in many professions, it's all about quality and being the best you can be. And uh, somebody once told my kids when they were very little, be a sponge. And that's what I tell these 25, 26-year-olds that come out of law school, be a sponge. Try to learn as much as you can learn in the early years. There, uh, there's a lot of reading uh, that you have to do as a lawyer to stay current on new laws, creative solutions, et cetera. Things are always changing. And that's one of the great things about our profession is uh, you can learn something new every day uh, for sure. And so uh, that's what I tell them is to work as hard as you can in the early years because it'll pay off and, and to build relationships. I, I was lucky, as I said, to have mentors 
who kind of pushed me out into the community and suggested uh, since I was I didn't grow up in this area, I needed to learn uh, uh, and meet a lot of new people. Uh, that was one of some of the best advice I ever received. And not everybody um, has the skill set to do that and or is inclined to do that, but we you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. But those who do do have those skill sets, we try to really uh, give them the the resources and the advice on where to get involved, how to get involved, uh, how to build their centers of influence, because ultimately that's what it's all about. Be the best you can be and to have relationships so that word gets around uh, that you are good at what you do and, and eventually work will come uh, from, from that. And, uh, you know, every lawyer, um, those are the two things. Can, uh, are you really good at what you do? And uh, do you have work to work on that's challenging and that people uh, respect you and turn to you when they need that kind of advice? You know, and Mike, you brought up something earlier. I have a lot of friends that are either Chicago lawyers at big firms or New York lawyers uh, at really big firms. And one of the challenges that they have, as you identified, is a whole issue of work-life balance. And I, I know your children, I know your wife, and I know that uh, even though that you probably work uh, just about as, as much as anybody that I know, that you have a tremendous commitment to the family. In Palm Beach County, it's probably much easier to do that than if you have to commute an hour and a half each way to Manhattan and back to wherever you happen to live in Connecticut or in Westchester County. So tell us a little bit about how you're able to maintain that and what you like about living down here that uh, fosters the ability for you to have that great balance. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think it's much easier to do that here than it is in uh, New York City uh, or in Chicago um, uh, because the commutes are typically a lot less, uh, almost uh, almost non-existent. And, and as my kids, my kids were tennis players at the Benjamin School during middle school and high school. And, uh, you know, their, their tennis matches tended to be at four o'clock in the afternoon during the, the spring session. And I tried to get to as many of those as I could. And so, you know, that that was relatively easy because I could jump on the car in downtown West Palm and and be at their uh, at their match in 20 minutes. And then, you know, we'd go home, we'd have dinner and then, you know, get back on the computer or get back to reading documents. And so there were a lot of late nights, but that's the trade off you need to make, I think, because, um, you know, uh, there is there are a lot of things in in the family's uh, evolution that are not going to ever get repeated. And, And so you hate to miss those key family moments, whether it's a recital, whether it's a tennis match, whatever it may be in your kid's life, uh, you don't want to miss those. Um, and uh, so I, we tried to strike a balance. And so there were a lot of late nights just catching up on work as a result of taking a couple of hours off in the afternoon to go see a tennis match or go see a band recital. But I think overall it was worthwhile. So do you have some family traditions uh, maybe around holidays or around get-togethers or around summers in the Mitrione Campiani uh, family that you say, uh, these are things that we really truly treasure as a family? Yeah, we have, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of our immediate family here. Ba- uh, Barbara's brother relocated here the year after we did. So all of her immediate uh, family and half of her first cousins have migrated here from New York uh, my brother and sister have places here now, but they're not Florida residents quite yet, but are on their way to doing so. And so we do have uh, a lot of uh, uh, relatives and we have a routine of where we go on uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter and those kinds of things. And we've been doing it for 30 something years. Uh, Frank, uh, my brother-in-law's uh, family, his kids are about the same age as our kids. So they've grown up together. So they're very, very close. And that's that's kind of the way, that's, that's kind of the culture that uh, you have in a, 
in an Italian family. Uh, Barbara's half Italian, half Irish, but I'm 100% Italian. And having a close-knit family and having that uh, is really key to our culture. And, and it's really, I think, uh, been good for all of us. Do you have a favorite go-to vacation place for the family? Well, we've been to Italy a bunch of times because I have 10 first cousins in Italy. My mother was uh, one of six and the only one of her family that relocated to the U.S. many, many, many years ago. So I had a lot of aunts and uncles. Unfortunately, they've all passed, but I'm very close to my 10 first cousins. And now all of their kids are close to my kids. So we've been to Italy many times uh, and been to my parents' hometown. They were both immigrants from the same tiny poor town in southern Italy. So I'm first generation and, and it's critical to, to my, uh, it's key to my upbringing and my culture. The other key places, we love going to Hawaii because it's, uh, it's a long way from Florida, but it's just, uh, to me, of all the places I've been to, it's the most relaxing. And that's the kind of vacation I typically try to find is something relaxing because when I'm home and we're working and we got community involvement, it's far from relaxing. We're, we're running uh, almost 24-7. You know, the irony, Mike, is that I just asked Sharon last night, I said, honey, we haven't been to Hawaii in years. We got married in Kauai. And when we lived in Chicago, we used to go to Maui all the time. One of the reasons why we moved to South Florida was because it was the closest thing we could find to the atmosphere of living in Hawaii that was only a two and a half or three hour plane flight from Chicago. And we wanted to move to an absolutely beautiful climate. And so that's how we ended up here was going to Hawaii every year and saying, hey, I cannot commute to Chicago, which I did for several years from Hawaii, but I can certainly do it from Palm Beach County. I want to circle back, though, to one thing that you said a minute ago and uh, explore this a little bit. So you both of your parents are first generation immigrants from Italy. What brought them over and did they meet before they got here or after they arrived in the U.S.? They grew up in a small town that probably at the time had six or 8,000 in population. They literally lived a block apart. So they knew each other their entire lives. It's a tiny, tiny town, uh, very rural, uh, in the middle of nowhere, halfway between Naples and Bari. So they knew each other. Uh, my father's father had come to this country in 1923, literally arrived in New York City. Now, now that we have the internet and you can go on... Uh, on the, the uh, Ellis Island website, I found out, my father never knew this. Uh, he knew that his father had come when he was young so that he could earn some money and send it back to my grandmother to support the two kids they had. Um, but what he didn't know was that my grandfather actually arrived in New York City on October 31st, five days before my father was born in the small town in Italy. So he was not there when his firstborn was born. My father didn't know that until I saw it on Ellis Island. Um, and, and that just really gives you a glimpse into what that generation was going through, particularly the immigrants who were coming to this country to earn, uh, for, looking for a better life for their families and to earn some money and send it back. I can't imagine doing that myself, but my grandfather did that. And then fast forward about 20 years later, uh, 22 years later, after the war, I think in 46, my father came to New York and joined his father and lived here in New York for two years, uh, lived in New York for two years, uh, was a tailor. And then he went back in 48 to marry my mother and brought her to New York. And uh, that's how they got um, uh, established in, in New York City. And they had some others from, from that small town who had come over into New York and they settled into 
what's a little uh, little Italy section of the North Bronx near Fordham Road. And uh, that's where I was born. And that's where our, our family, our, our U.S. family started. And so I grew up in the shadows of Fordham University. And that's why I ended up going to Fordham University. I never thought about going anywhere else. It was a great institution, but it all started in that little Italy section of Arthur Avenue, one block away from where Dion and the Belmonts uh, grew up and were singing back in those days. Wow. So, Mike, uh, did your father continue as a tailor when he came back after bringing your mother? Yeah, he worked his entire uh, 40 plus years in midtown Manhattan in the women's garment industry, started as a tailor and worked his way up ultimately as a production manager for all of the uh, really uh, major designers that were in New York City, big names, Bill Glass, Ann Klein, names that you would have recognized back from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so uh, uh, started at the bottom, and that's a, a trade that really no longer exists in New York City because ultimately because of the costs, uh, all the manufacturing that was literally done on 7th Avenue just south of Times Square, and slowly but surely it moved to Pennsylvania, and then it ended up moving to Hong Kong, where it was cheaper to make the goods, but the designing and the actual quality control from a production standpoint was always done on 7th Avenue, and that's what he did. And how about your mom? What was she doing? She was a, a housewife, and she was uh, managing the three of us. I have a younger brother and a younger sister and was raising the family kind of in the old uh, Italian uh, tradition. As far as I know, she never worked when she was in the United States, never worked outside of the house. Uh, so what was the neighborhood like? I, I'm picturing this uh, neighborhood that's got, uh, it's in the Bronx, so it's not in Manhattan. It's not a lot of high rises in my mind, but there's tons of kids probably out playing in the streets and you could ride your bike and you could walk to school, even if it was a mile away. What was it like? Yeah, uh, the original neighborhood uh, was three to six story buildings, apartment buildings, uh, rentals, uh, very Italian. Italian was still spoken there. And then uh, I guess at age three, we moved to Bronx River Parkway, a little farther north in, in the Bronx, a little bit more of an American neighborhood. And then we moved to Pelham Parkway, which uh, was also was a two family home that we lived in and we rented there. And then ultimately in uh, 1961, I guess I was nine years old at the time, we moved into Pelham Manor, which is the first town in southern Westchester as you leave uh, New York City. And uh, so that's really where we grew up was in Westchester County. Uh, for our truly formative years, uh, which is a terrific bedroom community. But but those early years, uh, that Little Italy section still exists in the North Bronx. Uh, it's a little smaller than it used to be, but there's still a core uh, uh, Italian uh, and Eastern European uh, community there. Mike, can you understand Italian? If I speak to you a little bit in Italian, would you understand it? Yeah, that was probably my first language because my parents spoke Italian all the time at home. It was their language. So I probably knew Italian before I knew English growing up. I don't remember those early years, but uh, I am relatively fluent in Italian. I never studied it. I just learned it by osmosis at home. And a lot of my uh, uh, relatives in New York still speak Italian uh, pretty regularly. So it was great for the three of us growing up to uh, really learn the language and have that culture. Wow. So, uh, and I don't know a lot of Italian. I'm no restaurant Italian. So you walk in and you say buonasera to the guy at the uh, front door and he usually gives you a little bit better seat, but that's about all I know. <laughs> so, so you move to uh, Pelham and you go to school in Pelham in the public schools, right? In Pelham? Correct. Uh, were you an athlete? 
No, uh, far from it. I was uh, uh, enjoyed playing uh, softball and stickball and that kind of stuff on the, on the sand lots. But no, I didn't. I never did play for an organized uh, team at our high school. And as a kid, did you want to be a lawyer? Is that what you pictured for yourself? Um, no, uh, math was always my best subject. I, uh, uh, I'm proud to say that in high school, I, I graduated as the number one math student in the class of 220. I was always really good with numbers. And then I go to, uh, so I decide I'm going to be a math major. That's what I'm best at, right? So I go to college and my first semester, I take calculus and I didn't understand half of it. I mean, it was, uh, it was not number crunching. It was to totally theoretical, totally different. And I said, okay, this is not working out. And uh, uh, so I had to regroup and figure out, okay, what's my career path going to be? And uh, it was either be a doctor or a lawyer is what my parents were telling me. That's what they, that they wanted. They had high hopes for their uh, children, the first generation of Americans. And I said, I knew I couldn't be a doctor because I didn't like the sight of blood. So by default, I was going to become a lawyer. And actually, there was a judge who lived down the street from us who was very close to our family. And he uh, kind of gave me some guidance about going to, to law school. And uh, uh, the rest is history. So as you think about that judge, and uh, you mentioned one of the first partners that you worked for at uh, Gunster. Are there some other people in your life that you would give credit to as being significant mentors? Definitely my parents. Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, uh, you grow up in an Italian family, particularly an immigrant family. Uh, it's uh, extremely conservative. It's 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 a crack the whip type uh, atmosphere, and and that's probably where I got the be the best you can be type aspect to my uh, personality because my father really wanted us all to be the best we could be and you know they were by far they were not wealthy uh, you know he he was just a working stiff in the uh, women's garment industry and he he did achieve a lot and became a production manager but he never made big money by any stretch but the proudest thing in his life was that he was able to pay for all three of us to go to private colleges and then he paid for my law school as well so um, uh, you know, it was just amazing what he and my mom were able to do on a relative, very, very tight budget. Yeah, that's a very, very encouraging story. And you hear that uh, quite a bit uh, with first generation families that come over and work so hard to uh, be able to give their kids a better life, which is obviously why your folks came to uh, came to the U.S. and why you and Barbara came to South Florida to be able to have a better life with you and your kids. So let's return to Palm Beach County and talk a little bit about some of the things that you've seen uh, over the years. As I said in the beginning of the podcast, you've really had a front row seat uh, to the growth of this place in the last 40 years. So what would you say if you could uh, identify some of the significant things that have happened in the business community in Palm Beach County. You mentioned the growth of the population, but talk to us about some of the uh, companies that have come in here, some of the amazing things that have happened, and and certainly even some of the busts that uh, just haven't worked out in Palm Beach County. Uh, share some of the stories that you have, Mike. Yeah, you know, as you look back, uh, the community has changed so much. Uh, I think uh, very much for the better. Uh, but obviously, a lot of people who were here before that uh, probably uh, don't like the traffic and, and some of the other things that happen uh, uh, from, as a result of growth. But, uh, you know, some of the best things that have happened was obviously the expansion of our airport from an economic perspective. That was huge. And back then, it, it was a real, um, a real dilemma, a real issue about whether to leave the airport where it's currently located 
or whether to move it out to Beeline where it would have uh, more space to expand and really be a significant hub. And we all love uh, the, the access and the proximity of our airport. It's one of the best that I've ever been through. Uh, it's terrific. But you, you start to think about, you know, it's pretty well landlocked and really can't expand and you can't have a whole bunch of 747s going in and out of there. And you really wonder, gee, should it have been moved to a place where it could have expanded? So that that was one of the key decisions back in the 80s. I remember that. Also key decisions when Wellington was developing in the early 80s, whether to put out a major highway to go out there and access it, uh, as it's turned out over time, uh, Southern Boulevard to some degree, I wouldn't call it a highway, but it has become uh, more of a high speed uh, waiting to go east-west, which seems to be the, the main problem um, in throughout South Florida's history in, in Miami-Dade and Broward and now Palm Beach County is how do you go east-west and how far can you go west? The Kravis Center was huge um, as far as taking West Palm Beach to the next level. Uh, that was uh, tremendous uh, for all of us. Uh, a terrific job done by Alex Dreyfus and the, and the others who, uh, uh, and Mr. Kravis, who really put their money where their mouth was and really uh, did a yeoman's effort to build that whole uh, complex and, and keep it going uh, to this day. FPL was not here back in those days. I mentioned earlier, FPL was based in Miami, but I, I don't recall if it was, it was probably in the late 80s when uh, they decided to move uh, or build a facility up in Juneau, and then ultimately it became their headquarters uh, slowly but surely, and that was huge for this area because they've been a terrific uh, corporate citizen and have done a lot for the not-for-profits and other community organizations. Uh, that's been terrific. Pratt & Whitney was here long before I got here, uh, and it was a much larger facility out there, but it's still uh, core to this area, and when uh, some of Pratt's uh, uh, business relocated back to the Northeast, uh, a lot of the people who worked there stayed here. And as a result, uh, they, they spun out and formed their own companies. And as a result, particularly in North County, we have a lot of aerospace and engineering organizations that were started by people that were former Pratt & Whitney engineers. So we've seen that evolution. And now we've seen a lot of high net worth people move into our, our North County. Back in the 80s, uh, the real place where people landed in Palm Beach County to a large degree was Boca. Because uh, Boca had space and had uh, a corporate park and proximity to, to Fort Lauderdale and Miami, and that was the major growth area. Boca is close to built out, I guess, right now, um, and as a result, North County has been the, uh, the the beneficiary of people and businesses relocating to this area over the last, say, uh, ten or twelve years. So, do you think there's anything that we're missing here in Palm Beach County as far as? A uh, business base. One of the things that I noticed, and I came from Chicago, is that aside from FPL and Office Depot, there's not a lot of home offices of uh, major corporations down here. And I know the Business Development Board has been working on bringing more industry in. We have the Biotech Corridor, which you've referenced earlier. What do you think that we could do as a community to improve the business client for bigger companies? Or do we do we even want them here? Great question. I think we're seeing, um, yeah, it's it's really odd. We're the third largest state in the country, and, and I don't know how many Fortune 500 companies we have right now, but I remember seeing an article about 10 years ago that we only had 10 in the entire state, 10 Fortune 500s based in the third largest state in the country. Uh, that number may be a little larger today. Like I said, I'm not sure with consolidation and everything else going on. But we are seeing the BDB's done a phenomenal job in the 
30, almost 40 years it's been around, and they are getting headquarters to move here. Now, maybe they're, it's hard to get the biggest companies in the world to move. That, that takes a lot of uh, effort to do that, but we are seeing uh, middle market companies move their headquarters here uh, because the uh, owners uh, want to live here. And even though they may have manufacturing or service facilities elsewhere in the country, you know, they can move their headquarters anywhere they want, particularly in today's day and age of technology. So I think we're seeing more of that. But if you look at what our biggest economic hubs are around the country, the one uh, there's there's probably a couple of common denominators, but the one that I keep hearing is the most important is a major university, and and um, and so whether you look at the research triangle, whether you look at Silicon Valley, all all of the New York, Chicago, all of those Austin, places, yeah, Austin, and and I think. Um, you know, Dr. Kelly has done a phenomenal job at FAU taking that organ, uh, that institution to the next level, couple of levels. And uh, he, uh, I think it's really important for all of us to really recognize uh, what FAU brings to the table for us, what Palm Beach uh, uh, State does for us, Palm Beach Atlantic, et cetera. We, we really need to support our, our educational institutions in this community. Um, and, and FAU has done a phenomenal job in, in the old days before Dr. Kelly got here. There was always a reluctance to uh, move some of their, uh, their curriculum to other locations. They have locations up in the Treasure Coast. They have one, obviously, at Abacoa. Uh, but everything was kind of Boca-centric. And, and now with Dr. Kelly, he's gotten away from that. And, and their, their campus in, in Abacoa has got a terrific future and not just in the sciences and, and the biotech, but really they've always had the honors college there. And, and that I think is uh, what we really need to help uh, support is, is our educational community. And speaking of biotech, I know that you've also been involved in the Max Planck Institute in uh, Abacoa. Uh, tell us a little bit about Max Planck and what they do, because I think most of my listeners probably know where it is, but I would imagine most of them don't know what it does. So what's it do, Mike? Well, Max Planck is based out of Germany, and it has, I think, something like 83, 84 institutes around the world. Most of them are in Europe, and some are in South America. The one in Jupiter is the only one they have in North America. It is, uh, and there are no plans to put any others. Max Planck is about 25,000 scientists at a very, very, very high level. Most people consider it either number one or number two in the world at doing scientific research and coming up with new technologies for the latest drugs and the latest solutions to all sorts of healthcare issues. I mean, literally, we have the number one or number two science research organization with a location in our community. I don't think most people realize that. Now, the location we have here in Jupiter is about 150 uh, employees. Uh, they're focused on the neurosciences, and each institute kind of has a, uh, a niche. This one is neuroscience. It's the brain, and they're doing research for uh, things such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, a lot of issues that uh, a lot of our families are touched by. And that's the focus of this particular uh, institute, but it's supported by this a huge uh, organization that is spread around the country, around the world. And uh, even though its, it's uh, facility here is about a third of the size of the Scripps facility here, 
it is significantly bigger than Scripps worldwide and has a phenomenal, as I said, phenomenal reputation. I think there have been 18 Nobel laureates come out of Max Planck in the 60 or so years the, uh, the, uh, uh, the society has existed. How's it funded? Uh, it, is, it was originally funded uh, by the state to have the building built and, and the county. Um, it is now uh, funded uh, to a large degree by uh, the Home Office in Germany and the German government uh, sends money here. And the other piece of it is through, uh, through uh, donations, through charity from our community and, and not just our community. Uh, they do have a national uh, uh, program that they try to reach out to other people around the country to uh, contribute to this organization. So uh, that that's the big challenge. I serve on the board there. I've been on the board uh, almost since it started uh, in Palm Beach County about a dozen years ago. And uh, that's our challenge is to increase its uh, endowment so that it can be uh, self-perpetuating and, and live off of a uh, endowment like most 501c3s do. Um, so that that's our goal there. But right now, a lot of the funding comes from, most of it comes from Germany and uh, the rest of it comes from uh, donations and grants and uh, the National Institute of Health. And Mike, earlier you mentioned a client uh, that you uh, loved working on the deal, which was Cook Industries and their sale of uh, Terminix. Are there some other deals that you said, geez, this, this occupied my time for months or years on end and was just an amazing uh, deal that I got to work on or a company that you've taken public? What are, what are some of your favorite things that you've done in your career? Um, it's really, you know, representing more the, uh, the family owned businesses. I've really enjoyed that. And a lot of them have become huge. Um, I, I know one of the, the other client that I, uh, really, uh, inherited and, and ran with very early in my career after moving to Palm beach was, uh, something called Spencer boat company, which was right next to Rybovich in, uh, the Northern part of, uh, the intracoastal Northern part of the city of West Palm beach, uh, the facility is still there today, but it was uh, sold. Uh, the Bronstein family out of Minnesota came down and purchased it, and we uh, represented them in that purchase. And then uh, they ran it for over 20 years and then ultimately sold it to an affiliate of the Heisenga family. And it still operates today, and it is one of the uh, most well-known boatyards. Uh, uh, the Rybovich part of it obviously builds pretty unique uh, fishing boats, but the Spencer part of it uh, is is uh, a repair and repaint, and it's just a phenomenal place for very very high end yachts to go into um, and and uh, be refurbished. And uh, that's something that I enjoyed a over twenty year relationship. I actually still in touch with uh, one of the Bronstein sons who now lives and works out of Orlando. But it was a great relationship with the with the Bronstein family when they purchased it from uh, the widow of. Uh, Mr. Spencer, who started it, and uh, the Bronstein family really took it to the next level. And even since then, the new ownership has taken it to another level. Wow. So, uh, Mike, you've had this phenomenal 40-plus year uh, career at Gunster. I know you and Barbara are fairly recent uh, grandparents. And um, by the time this podcast airs, may even have another grandchild. So um, tell us what that's been like, going from, you know, father to uh, big time corporate attorney to now you're just, what are you, pop pop or papa? Well, um, I'm no, no. And no, no. 
<laughs> so okay. none know is the Italian word for grandpa. And uh, our grandson, uh, who's now uh, just turned two this weekend, is when you blend in our family, Barbara's family, uh, Ryan Dinsdale, or my son-in-law's family, when you blend it all together, our grandson is 50% Italian. That's his heritage. And even though he has a very waspy name, uh, Bennett Reed Dinsdale, I didn't want him to forget that he was half Italian. So uh, uh, you don't have a choice. You'll find out when you have your grandchildren, uh, Carrie, you don't have a choice as to what they're going to call you. But I got lucky. I, I wanted to be called Nonno, and he is calling me Nonno. So that's that's great. And and it really, I never understood why grandparents were so gaga about their grandkids. I said, hey, we've you know, most of us have had kids. And so what's the big deal? Well, it is a huge deal. Um, he has brought tremendous joy to us and uh, taken our family to the next level. And we, we, we just have such a fun time with him. But for those of us who are type A's and we're grandparents, it's kind of hard to uh, kind of impose your will. You kind of have to back off a little bit because it's really the parents who need to kind of set the tone of uh, of discipline and what he should and shouldn't be doing and whatever. But for, like I said, for somebody like me, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to back off, but we have a lot of fun. He likes swinging a golf club, believe it or not at age two. So he, uh, he and I have that in common and we, uh, he'll probably be better than me in no time. Uh, That's not too difficult to do, but uh, it's been phenomenal. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. And I understand he just had a birthday and they had the uh, entire fire department drive by his house to uh, uh, wave at him to say happy birthday. I'm not sure how that got pulled off, but uh, congratulations to your daughter, Stephanie and Ryan on uh, that maneuver. So you've got two great daughters. Tell us where they are, what they're doing now, you know, because Stephanie is, uh, as I know, is the incoming chair of the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce. And she's also uh, a absolute dynamo. So tell us about both of the girls, because Stephanie is really the one that I know. Yeah, Stephanie, our younger daughter, uh, is very well known, probably better known than I am, frankly, at this point, because I can't tell you how many times I uh, get the pleasure of going to a cocktail party or, you know, business gathering of some kind. And if I'm wearing a name tag, never fails. Somebody comes up to me and says, Mitrion, are, are you Stephanie's dad? Um, so that's her job at FPL is to be out in the community. She works in external affairs with Pam Roush and Don Keselowski and uh, reports to that team. And her job is to be out in the community. And uh, so uh, she was a marketing major at Boston College and came back to the community after college and really has uh, started. Actually, her first job was at the chamber at the Palm Beach North Chamber and had a terrific mentor in Casey Steinbacher there. And then she did a, a one year tour of duty at Channel 25. So she's been putting her marketing degree uh, to work and uh, has been at the FPL now over 10 years and she's uh, she is uh, definitely committed to the com- uh, community. I've had nothing to do with her getting on the chamber board. I'm not on the chamber board anymore, but uh, I'm really pleased that uh, she is going to be uh, the incoming chair here July 1 and uh, follow in my footsteps. And she'll probably do even a better job than uh, than I did at it. Uh, our other daughter, Rayanne, is a uh, wealth manager. Um, she went to Vanderbilt and uh, we always knew she would come back because she hates the cold. So uh uh, came back, uh, worked for a year, then got her MBA, and she's now uh, uh, a CFA and does uh, wealth management at a very high level uh, for Abbott Downing in in the town of Palm Beach, uh, which is a subsidiary of uh, Wells Fargo. And ironically, uh, she works out of the space that used to be Gunster Space when I moved here to Palm Beach in 1979. She was three years old when we left that space and moved across the bridge into Phillips Point. 
So she had no idea that was Gunster Space uh, when she uh, got hired uh, by that uh, uh, company and, and moved in there. So it's kind of ironic. My third job was on South County Road and Royal Palm Way, and her third job is in the exact same office space. The world works in mysterious circles. So, Mike, uh, Barbara, your wife, uh, you've been married for how long now? Uh, we've been married uh, this year will be 45 years. That was a test. Good job. You passed. So she retired a couple of years ago, but I understand she's found something that she absolutely loves doing in retirement. Uh, what's Barbara doing now? Uh, she is a docent at the Norton Museum. She's always had an interest in art, but she doesn't, uh, she doesn't have an art degree or anything like that. And uh, one of our good friends uh, was a docent there uh, before her and said, hey, you know, we have a uh, every other year, the, do, uh, the Norton um, run, uh, takes applications for new docents, and they do a very intense education program for 10 or 12 new docents. And uh, so about uh, eight years ago, I guess it was, uh, she applied. She was accepted into this uh, group and did a one-year, uh, went through a one-year class. I mean, it was like going to college. They put in a lot of hours to train to become a docent, and then you have to give a kid's tour and an adult tour and, and you have to pass in order to be a docent. And she's really enjoyed it. She's chaired uh, uh, the docent uh, community at the Norton in the short time she's been there. And right now uh, she has rotated off of uh, the advisory council. And uh, but so she gives tours. And even though she doesn't have the art degrees, it's it's a passion for her. And she's really enjoyed giving back to the community and especially now with the Norton. I don't know if you've been there um, that, since they've been renovated, but it is a phenomenal uh, asset to this community. They did a phenomenal job with that renovation. And what's uh, what's Bennett call her? Calls her Baba. Um, you know, we, we debated about whether Barbara wanted to be Nana, which was what her grandmother on the Irish side was called, or she was going to be Grandma, or, you know, Grammy was already taken by uh, the other grandmother. And uh, uh, he just started calling her Baba. We're not sure where it came from. He probably heard us call her Barbara, and he translated it into Baba, but she's Baba. Awesome. Mike, uh, I can't thank you enough. You've been a fantastic guest. Uh, your stories and your knowledge of uh, the business in Palm Beach County, or what I call business in paradise, has uh, been a fantastic asset. And uh, so I wish you and your family, your absolutely wonderful family, the very best. Thank you for joining us today on Business in Paradise. Gary, it's been my pleasure, and thank you. And uh, same uh, back at you to you and your family. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp & Company is located at 110 Bridge Road, Dequesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Thank you.